0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Natasha Cowden, coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
0: On today's program, Tim Tebow's foundation is fighting human trafficking. And the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church is responding to allegations that he has not done enough to deal with sexual abuse claims. We also have news from the Southern Baptist in Florida. They've released a report explaining how $700,000 was stolen. The report finds no wrongdoing on the part of the staff, but recommends safeguards that all Christian ministries should pay attention to.
1: We begin today with news that Sarah Young, the controversial author of the publishing phenomenon, Jesus Calling, has died at age 77.
0: Jesus Calling has sold more than 40 million copies. Its author died on Thursday, August 31st, after struggling for years with chronic illness and Lyme disease. News of the Nashville native's death was first reported by Christianity Today, and it came just a day after Publishers Weekly reported that the author's health was rapidly failing.
1: Her passing brought an end to a writing career that was as successful as it was unexpected.
0: After graduating from Wellesley College, Young went on to get graduate degrees from both Tufts and Covenant Theological Seminary. She traveled to Europe, where she visited with the Labrie community in Switzerland, run by Francis Schaeffer, uh, an evangelical pastor and author who had a tremendous amount of influence in the 70s, 80s, and even today to a certain extent. While there, she later recalled, Young had a conversation that led her to embrace Christianity. Christianity.
1: She met her husband, Steve, while in seminary. And after a couple, the couple graduated in 1977, they became missionaries with Mission to the World, a mission agency of the Presbyterian Church in America.
0: They served first in Japan and later in Australia, where Young worked as a Christian counselor. And there was this uh, kind of episode, Natasha, in the 1990s called The Satanic Panic, a rush of rumors that... Uh, devil-worshiping cults were spreading across the country. I'm old enough to remember when that happened. In fact, I wrote a few news stories about it. That inspired Young to begin writing a series of journal entries that were the beginnings of Jesus' calling. During her prayer time, Young later recalled that she would spend time listening to God and then writing down what came to mind. Jesus Calling was published in 2004 when Young was still in Australia and in her late 50s. The book didn't really sell that well in the beginning, but it eventually became a huge hit, spawning a series of related products, including children's books, journals, and podcasts.
1: All told, the Jesus Calling brand has sold 45 million copies by July of 2023, according to Thomas Nelson, Young's publisher.
0: Uh, But Young herself was notoriously shy, at least when it came to publicity. Uh, She lived mostly in seclusion in her hometown of Nashville later in life, refusing to give in-person interviews and shunning social media and public appearances that are, of course, common to superstar authors.
1: Written as if Jesus was speaking to the reader, Young's book has been controversial at times. She told the New York Times in 2013 that she did not consider herself a prophet, nor did she consider Jesus calling a new book of scripture.
0: In fact, Young told the Times in a written response to questions that I agree that revelation has ceased in the sense that the Bible is complete. However, what I am doing is devotional writing, and I do so by asking Jesus to guide my mind as I spend time with him to help me think his thoughts— Later, in 2021, she told Religion News Service, also in an email interview—again, she did not give uh, any face-to-face interviews, at least that I knew uh, about—that she hoped that her books would point people to the Bible.
1: Our next story involves a celebrity Christian, but one we haven't heard from in a while.
0: Yeah, Tim Tebow, uh, of course, most people know him as a football star that's been active in ministry. He announced on Instagram uh, recently that the Tim Tebow Foundation was launching an initiative called Unknown, which is a public campaign to generate a million dollars toward the fighting of human trafficking and sexual exploitation of children. He wanted to get this done by his 36th birthday. He announced the campaign two weeks before. Um, His August 14th birthday on July 30th, a date recognized and designated by the United Nations as World Day Against Trafficking, and said his hope and prayer for his birthday was that people would join together and raise a million dollars for the cause.
1: So how did he do with this campaign?
0: Well, he more than uh, made his goal. To date, uh, Tim Tebow's fundraiser has generated more than $1.3 million. And the organization also claims that they've protected about 2,000 victims while helping uh, 500-plus perpetrators be brought to justice.
1: Ministry Watch reached out to the Tim Tebow Foundation and to ask how they brought justice to over 500 perpetrators and how they cared for the 2,000 plus trafficking survivors.
0: Yeah, that's right. In fact, those claims sounded so big that we wanted to do a little fact checking on it. So, uh, Kim Roberts, uh who wrote that story reached out to them and asked a couple of questions and they responded to her questions with this statement. Uh, If we have included a perpetrator in our statistical accounting, it is because the efforts taken by our partners resulted in an arrest by law enforcement. Uh, The organization also noted that they don't take credit for law enforcement's work, but they have made significant investments in supporting it. So for example, they provided salary replacement for local sheriff's departments and dedicated resources such as vehicles and technology for the task forces that are investigating these crimes.
1: All of that sounds really good, but when our reporter Kim Roberts dug into the Tibo Foundation's financials, she found something that was a bit unusual.
0: Yes, she did. Uh, if you look, Just sort of superficially, the Tebow Foundation looks okay. Um, Three stars out of five for financial efficiency, which is kind of average. An A transparency grade, which is very good. And we give it a donor confidence score of 88. Not our top score, but it does mean that you can give with confidence. Uh, But according to its... latest Form 990, the foundation received $40 million in 2021. We don't have 2022 statement yet, but they spent only about $13 million. So they kept $27 million of the $40 million that they raised. Now, the Tim Tebow Foundation told Ministry Watch that they invested about $22 million in capital projects, including the Raising Light Ridge, which is a ministry campus in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. In addition, approximately $8.8 million resulted from its year-end fundraising campaign, and that included an unanticipated $4 million gift that came in right at year-end. In other words, they do plan to spend the money. They're not just hoarding it, and um, we'll be on the lookout to see where that money ends up going.
1: Or, and let's look at one more story before the break. It concerns the Episcopal Church.
0: Presiding Bishop Michael Curry, who is the head of the Episcopal Church here in the United States, announced recommendations for revising disciplinary procedures for bishops in a video posted this week. He asked the Standing Committee on Structure, Governance, Constitution, and Canons, a representative body of 10 laity five clergy and five bishops to review how the church has disciplined bishops in the past and recommend changes to that process to the upcoming general convention, which is the denomination's governing body.
1: Curry was responding in his address to the August 31st letter signed by at least 55 Episcopal bishops who are angered by and deeply concerned about the perception or the reality that bishops get a free pass on behavioral issues.
0: Last Wednesday, Julia Ayala Harris, who is the president of the House of Deputies and the second ranking officer in the Episcopal Church, wrote a letter stating concerns about the church's response to her own allegations that a retired bishop subjected her to non-consensual physical contact, as well as inappropriate verbal statements in July of 2022, which was the very day she got elected as president to the House of Deputies. Ayala Harris wrote that she filed a complaint that led to a Title IX process, the internal disciplinary procedure for Episcopal clergy accused of misconduct. Though investigations found that the retired bishop likely violated church canons as well as New York sexual harassment laws, Ayala Harris said that he was referred to a pastoral response rather than to discipline.
1: Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, we'll take a look at the association between evangelism explosion and the event formerly known as Values Voters Summit. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break.
2: Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a Stork Bus to offer free ultrasounds of pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork Buses partner college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, our next story involves a ministry best known for its work in evangelism, but which has become more politically active.
0: Politically active Christians will be gathering in Washington, D.C. next weekend, which uh, is September 15th through 17th, to hear from speakers uh, around the nation about issues of concern to them in hopes of learning how to respond uh, from a biblical worldview. Candidates for the Republican nomination for president will be attending, including former President Donald Trump, former Vice President Mike Pence, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis.
1: This event was previously called the Values Voter Summit.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, it it is. It's been hosted for many years by the Family Research Council, but now it's called Pray Vote Stand Summit. And even though the FRC, the Family Research Council, is sort of the lead host of the event, six other organizations also step up and become lead sponsors as well. And one of them is Evangelism Explosion International.
1: Dr. D. James Kennedy founded Evangelism Explosion in 1962 with the vision to see every nation equipping every people group and every age group to witness to every person. How does a politically natured event like Pray Vote Stand Summit align with its mission?
0: Well, that's a good question. Um, We reached out to Evangelism Explosions president, John Sorensen, and he says that he sees the event as a conference attended by people who love the USA, want to see revival, and are willing to take action, like pray and share the gospel. He told Ministry Watch that the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit fits the EE's mission of equipping Christians to share their
1: faith. But where is the line between proclaiming the gospel and pushing a political agenda?
0: Well, it's a really good question, and it's not a new one. Even with evangelism explosion, I mean, D. James Kennedy, for example, uh, was one of those involved in founding the Family Research Council many, many years ago. But he generally separated his evangelism explosion efforts from his political uh, activism. They were often, you know, in sort of separate buckets, you might say. Um, However, it's getting increasingly difficult to keep those buckets separate, so to speak. David Ennis, who is a former professor at the King's College and the host of a podcast called Mortification of Spin, said that Christians should speak out on issues that profoundly impact people's well-being such as gender identity and permanently altering a child's body through surgery. These are behaviors that have moral implications biblical implications, if you will, but they're being pushed through political arenas and political means. He said that these issues have awakened Christians to participate in politics because they are affecting Christians' abilities to raise their own children uh, to be godly, productive people. And according to David Ennis, you have to take a stand against this evil.
1: Now, back in May, we reported on financial fraud, which was a cause of a $700,000 loss by the Florida Baptist Convention. This week, a report on the incidents was released.
0: The Florida Baptist Convention subcommittee charged with investigating the financial fraud discovered in, that was discovered in May uh, reported that they discovered no criminal activity by any Baptist staff member. However, more than $700,000 was stolen, so there was criminal activity by somebody, uh, but they say it was through cyber targeting. Federal and state investigators are still working to find out who the perpetrators are, and the Baptist State Convention is hoping to eventually recover the stolen funds.
1: While the subcommittee discovered no wrongdoing on the convention staff, it did make several recommendations to strengthen financial protocols to prevent such targeting in the future. That's
0: right. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we wanted to cover this story, Natasha, is because I think that the learning that the Baptist Day Convention made down in Florida or or discovered down in Florida could be good for all of us. The recommendations in their report included implementing new data security controls, increasing awareness when carrying out financial duties, and seeking accreditation by the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. The stolen funds in this case were meant to go to the North America Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, which partners with Florida Baptists in church planting efforts there.
1: Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Oren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first?
0: Three years after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, churches have fewer people in the pews, but more money in the collection plate. They also say that they have less conflict in their church than they did back in 2020. Despite these struggles and changes, many congregations are optimistic about the future. Clergy dissatisfaction, on the other hand, does remain high.
1: Those are among the findings of the latest report from the Hartford Institute for Religion Research, part of a five-year study of the impact of the pandemic on American churches.
0: The latest report drew from surveys for 4,809 congregations from 58 denominational groups, including an oversampling of 20 of those groups. And it's all part of an Exploring the Pandemic Impact on Congregation study. The surveys were put in the field from January to May of this year.
1: What were some of the other key findings?
0: Well, it's apparent that congregational dynamics are still very much in a state of flux, said Scott Thuma, who is the director of the study. Churches, and especially clergy, continue to be in a recovery phase, he said, even though aspects of church life are rebounding the destiny of many faith communities still seems to be uncertain. He also said that the median attendance at local congregations that they surveyed stood at 60 in the spring of 2023. That's down slightly from 65 in the spring of 2020. Uh, that was that's a decline of about nine percent. About a third, or thirty percent, of churches said that they'd experienced significant decline, and a quarter, about twenty-four percent, said that they experienced some decline.
1: Giving at congregations went up as well.
0: Yeah, that's one of the surprising findings of this survey, considering that in uh, that attendance itself was down. Um, about 42 percent increase in giving over the past three years, from a median of about $120,000 per church in 2020 to $170,000 per church in 2023. Now, by the way, Natasha, this uh, is a very robust study. Some of the numbers that I've been sharing with you are really just a tip of the iceberg, and if <laughs> there are too many and you just want to look at them in black and white, uh, or if you're just a data geek like me uh, and you love this kind of stuff, you really do uh, need to go check out the article itself. We've got some charts and some graphs, and it goes on for quite a while, but I think many of our listeners might really love it. Uh, just go to ministrywatch.com.
1: Warren, who's in the ministry spotlight this week?
0: Christian Relief Services Charities is an organization that we wanted to spotlight this week. It began in 1985 with a view to improve the physical welfare of human suffering. It it works to preserve native heritage, customs, and beliefs in particular, and additionally, it. Uh, it uh, acquires low-income housing and then develops, renovates, and manages that housing for people on limited means. It's an organization, though, that a lot of folks don't know about, um, but they have Almost seventy million dollars a year in revenue, sixty-seven point eight million in the most recent year, and um, it's kind of one of the largest ministries that nobody's ever heard of. Um, we give it a give with confidence rating uh, here at Ministry Watch, but it is not a member of the ECFA, and it is kind of outside the mainstream of evangelicalism. But again, uh, a large ministry and. Evangelical donors should know about this ministry before they give.
1: And who did Christina highlight in Ministries Making a Difference?
0: In August, Avenue of Light was selected by as a 2023 United Way Impact 100 partner organization, which is kind of unusual because it is an overtly evangelical organization, member of the ECFA, but it does great work in Kansas City. They work to end child homelessness in that city and offer community services such as food packs, clothing, hot breakfasts on Saturday, and other services. They have a donor confidence score, by the way, of 96, which is one of our top scores.
1: And Christina also featured a couple of ministries that reached milestones—
0: Agape Mission in Bartlesville, Oklahoma is one of them. They have now served more than 1 million meals through its community on-site meal program since inception in the year 2000. It's also providing food for low-income students through 14 local schools with its Food for Kids program, handing out 600 sacks of food per week for children to take home for the weekend. And another ministry that reached a milestone is Slavic Gospel Association. It's an organization that we've reported on quite a bit here at Ministry Watch. 18 months ago, Russia invaded Ukraine, and SGA's partner churches have so far distributed 16 million meals and 1,800 tons of aid to victims of the war one aid distribution center used for by several churches in ukraine though was recently bombed and it killed four people and wounded 15 others all of this according to mission news network
1: Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go
0: Yeah, a couple. Uh, It's a new month, and we have a new gift for donors. This month, we'll be sending a copy of my book, Restoring All Things, to you if you make a gift of any size during the month of September. I wrote this book with my friend and former Colson Center colleague, John Stone Street, and I think you'll find it to be a real blessing. It highlights how God is using ministries and individuals to make a positive difference in the world. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page and I also want to mention that we're going to be doing another webinar soon it's on september 20th just a few weeks from now it's called how to find and read a form 990 we talk a lot about the form 990 here and its importance and so we think it's important for donors to know how to both find them and read them once they get their hands on them the webinar is absolutely free but you do need to sign up so watch your inbox for a sign up link
1: the producers for today's program are Rich Rosell and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Bob Smetania, Kim Roberts, Steve Raby, Catherine Post, Jessica Ederalde, Christina Darnell, and Rod Pitzer. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.